A Lifting Up for the Downcast by William Bridge Chapter 3 Saints should not be discouraged, whatever their condition may be. Having spoken of the first two doctrines, the third follows, which is this. The saints and people of God have no true reason for their discouragements, whatever their condition may be. David had as much cause and reason for his discouragements here as any other, for he lacked ordinances, yea, he was kept from the ordinances. Therefore says he, As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2. Yea, after he had known the sweetness of them, he was deprived of them. For I had gone with the multitude, I went with them to the house of God, in verse 4. And in this condition he had many enemies. He was in the state of affliction and persecution. His enemies reproached him. They reproached him in the matter of his God, and that daily. While they continually say unto me, Where is thy God? As a sword in mine bones, my enemies reproach me, while they say daily unto me, Where is thy God? And that's verses 3 and 10. And he was now under great desertions. Though the enemies did reproach him in the matter of his God, yet if God had been present with him, he had been well enough. But they said, Where is now thy God? And his own heart said so too, that God had left and forsaken him, which was his failing. I will say unto God, My rock, why hast thou forsaken me? And that's verse 9. Yet for all this he says, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? As if he should say, Your enemies not only reproach you in the matter of your God, but so does your own heart. You are now kept from those precious ordinances which you once enjoyed. Yet why should you be disquieted or cast down? There is no reason for it. And these words speak plainly this truth, that a godly, gracious man has no true scriptural reason for his discouragements, whatever his condition may be. It was a sad condition that the prophet Habakkuk did present unto himself. Yet, says he, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 18. But, oh, you servant of God, you are now under a threatening, and not under a promise, which makes your very belly to tremble. And will you, can you, now rejoice? Yes, says he. When I heard, my belly trembled, my lips quivered at the voice, rottenness entered into my bones, Yet will I rejoice in the Lord. And that's verse 16. But perhaps you may think this threatening will never be fulfilled. 
yes, says he, although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no meat in the stalls. Yet will I rejoice in the Lord. And that's verse 17. But a man may rejoice, though he has no wine to drink or olives to eat, because these are but creature comforts, which are for our refreshment. But will you rejoice, O prophet, if you lack your daily bread, and such creature comforts as are for our daily nourishment? Yes, saith he. Although the field shall yield no meat, and the flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stall, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. And that's verse 17b. In this way, whatever a godly man's condition may be, he may rejoice, and there is no true reason for his discouragement. Indeed, there is no sin so unreasonable, but the sinner thinks he has reason for it. And so the saints and people of God may think that they have reason for their discouragements. Hence it is that they have so many whys and wherefores. Why hast thou forsaken me? Why go I mourning? Yea, they may not only seem to have some reason, but in a way of nature they have reason for their discouragements. And therefore David says, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, I said, I have cleansed my hands in vain, until I went into the house of the Lord. Psalm 73, verses 3, 13, and 17. So, that so long as he was in the house of nature and natural reason, he saw reason for his discouragement. Yea, not only so, but take things asunder, and consider things by pieces, one from another, abstracting the means from the end, so that the saints may have a true and real reason for their discouragements, for every affliction is grievous. If the farmer looked only upon the breaking up of his ground, without respect to the harvest, he may well be discouraged. But take both together, and he will not. Well, in the same way, if the saints consider their breakings apart from their harvest, they may see cause for their discouragements. But if they consider their breaking up and their harvest together, the means and the end together, I say, if they take all together, then whatever their condition may be, they have no reason to be cast down or disquieted. What is there in or for the saints that may be a sufficient bulwark against all discouragements? Well, I answer. A godly, gracious man has a portion and interest in God himself. There are some special men and women in the world whom the great God of heaven and earth makes over himself unto, and they that have him 
for their God and portion have no reason to be disquieted, whatever their condition may be. And thus it is with the saints. And therefore the psalmist does not merely say that he would rejoice, but that God was his exceeding joy. Psalm 43 verse 4. Now Satan may darken this light and joy for a time, but he can never put it out. All the saints and people of God are possessed of this. It is written of Antonius the emperor, one of the persecutors in the primitive times, that being environed and compassed about by his enemies, whereby he and all his army in the field were like to be lost for water, he commanded the Christians of his army to pray for rain, whereby present relief came to him. His army was preserved, and his enemies destroyed. He later wrote a letter to the Roman Senate in favor of the Christians, and gave this commendation of them in it that they were a people which were deo contentiacum circumfuent secum in pectore that's content with God whom they did always carry about with them in their bosom yea he said in that same letter it is very credible that although we think them wicked men that's diem pro munimento hibiare in consentia, which in English is they have God in their conscience for their bulwark, thus a heathen, thus an enemy, thus he who was once a persecutor confessed, and shall we, and shall not we say as much? Oh, but say some, tole miam et tole diem, that take away that word my, and take away that word God no God to me unless he is my God and there are many of God's people that cannot say God is my God well for they lack assurance and therefore how can they have comfort in this well yes if my very resting on God makes him mine I may have comfort in him too now the saints and people of God may always and do rest on God. And though Satan says by way of temptation, you've not believed, you have not rested on God, and yet they may say, oh, but now I do rest on God, and so may always have comfort in their portion and interest in God. God always knows them and their conditions. I know thy works, and thy tribulation, and thy poverty, says the Lord Jesus Christ to the church of Smyrna, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 9. And this Christ speaks as a relieving comfort to that church in a sad condition. For, saith Christ, Satan shall cast some of you into prison ten days. And that's verse 10. Yet, be of good comfort, Smyrna. I know you and your tribulation and poverty. Whatever your condition may be, I know you are in it. And it seems this is a general cordial 
for it is given unto all the churches. I know thy works, O Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, and Philadelphia. Indeed, it is spoken as a terror to Laodicea, for that which is most comfortable to the good is most terrible to the wicked, as the presence of God, the omniscience of God, and so forth. But to the godly this is a great comfort. Whatever my condition may be, yet God, my Father, knows it, and knows me in it. God would not have his people be discouraged, and if God, their Father, and Jesus Christ, their Savior, would not have them discouraged, then there is no true reason for their discouragements. Now, God and Christ would not have his people to be cast down or disquieted, whatever their condition may be. Let not your heart be troubled, says our Savior to his disciples. John chapter 14, verse 1. It is as if he should say, I am now to die, to leave you all, to go to my Father. And when I am gone, you will meet with many troubles. But I would not have you discouraged. Let not your heart be troubled. But Lord, if you die, we shall then lose your presence. And what greater trouble or affliction can there be than the loss of your presence? Well, says Christ, yet I would not have you troubled at heart. Let not your heart be troubled. But if we lose you, O Lord, we shall lose all the ordinances and those many sweet opportunities of receiving good for our souls, which we have enjoyed by your presence. Be it so, says our Savior, yet I would not have you troubled at the heart. Let not your heart be troubled. But Lord, if we lose you, we shall be as sheep scattered. Some will deny you. All will forsake you. And when the shepherd is smitten, we, as sheep, shall be all dispersed, and fall into sad temptations, afflictions, and desertions. Well, says he, however it may be, yet I would not have you troubled at the heart. Let not your heart be troubled. Well, see, this is Christ's mind, will, and pleasure concerning his disciples. And if you say, how may it appear that God the Father would have his people to be of the same mind and disposition, never to be discouraged? Well, I answer, it appears plainly, because God has provided promises of comfort, succor, and relief suitable to all conditions. I dare boldly challenge all men to show me any one condition which God has not provided a promise of comfort, mercy and succor suitable unto it. Yea, and if you look upon the promises and mark them well, you shall find they are so laid, worded, and molded that all discouraging objections may be fully answered and taken off as they rise. For example, suppose the church of God is under persecution of enemies. Well, quote, no weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. Close quote. Isaiah chapter 54 verse 17. But you will say, Our enemies, O Lord, are many. They rise up against us, and gather into bodies, and confederate against thy servants. 
Well, he takes off that objection thus. Behold, they shall surely gather together, but not by me. Whosoever shall gather together against thee shall fall for thy sake. And that's uh, Isaiah 54, verse 15. But, O Lord, they have gotten instruments of death and the whole power of the militia and ammunition into their hands. Be it so, said the Lord. Behold, I have created the smith that bloweth the coals in the fire, and that bringeth forth an instrument for his work. And I have created the waster to destroy. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. And those are verses 16 and 17. But, O Lord, they have got authority on their side, and they rise against us in judgment. Well, mark then what follows. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment, thou shalt condemn. That's verse 17. But this is a promise made unto the Jewish church only, and not to us. Well, not so. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. That's verse 17, part B. If you were the servants of the Lord, that is, his chosen people, that is, his elect, this promise tells you that it is made to you. But we are in an unbelieving condition and are not able to lay hold on this promise. Well, says this promise, this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Well, children shall have their inheritance, though for the present they are not able to sue for it. It falls upon them in due course. Oh, but we may sin against the Lord and cut ourselves off from this promise and this inheritance. Well, mark then what follows. And their righteousness is of me, said the Lord, which is verse 17, part C. Not only this promise is of me, but the righteousness whereby they shall believe and lay hold on it and walk under it is of me, says the Lord. Oh, how graciously is this promise laid, whereby all unbelieving objections may be taken off. And so it is in all the promises. Do but observe and mark them. They are molded, ordered, and worded so that every word of the promise holds forth a distinct answer unto your objections. Now, if God has so laid his promises that all unbelieving objections may be taken off as they rise, what does this argue but that God our Father would not have his people discouraged, whatever their condition may be. Therefore, they have no reason for it. There is no matter of discouragement which the saints do or can meet with, but there is a greater encouragement bound up therewith, or comes along with it. God never more graciously appears to his people than when there is the greatest matter for their discouragement. John lay some years 
in the bosom of the Lord Jesus Christ while Christ lived but then he had not the revelation given him Christ dies well, John is afflicted persecuted driven into the Isle of Patmos as an exile and there Christ appears to him and gives him that blessed book of comfort the book of Revelation we read of Jacob that at one time especially he did so see the Lord that he called the name of the place Peniel for I have seen the Lord Genesis chapter 32 verse 30 said he and when was that well, but when curlish Laban was on one side of him and his rough brother Esau coming out against him in a hostile way on the other side well once he had a vision of a ladder the top of which was in heaven and the foot on earth with angels ascending and descending upon it which in John chapter 1 verse 51 the Lord Jesus Christ interprets to be himself you shall see the angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. But when did he have this vision? Not while he was in his father's house, but when he was fain to fly from the anger of his brother, lying in the open field in the night, where he had no pillow but a hard stone to lie upon. Well, then Christ appears to him and makes such a discovery and manifestation of himself as he never had before. And when was it that Mr. Robert Glover was so filled with heavenly joys that he cried out, He has come! He has come! You read of him in the Book of Martyrs, that for five years together he was worn out and consumed with fears and troubles. By the way, the Book of Martyrs in that is Fox's Book of Martyrs, which I recommend everybody read. He could neither eat nor sleep, he was so afflicted in his soul upon the apprehension of some backsliding well, he thought he must needs be thrown down to hell when he died yea he thought said the story of him that he could not more despair in hell yet after this long time of wrestling with this temptation it pleased God to come in with comforts but when I but I say when was this why then especially when he came within sight of the stake that is the stake that to be burned on and then he cried out with the clapping of his hands he has come he has come and thus does God with whom we are reserves of mercies or with whom are reserves of mercies reserve his sweetest consolations for the time of our sourest afflictions and temper the one with the other in most fit proportion yea the Lord not only gives forth encouragement in time of discouragement and proportion his encouragements unto our discouragements but he also makes your discouragements into encouragements and comforts the Lord caused a deep sleep to come upon Adam and then he took a rib from his side wherewith he made a help for him so does God cause a deep sleep to come upon you in your discouragements 
out of which he takes a rib and builds up a help for you, making the discouragements of the saints to contribute to their very encouragements. Behold, said the Lord, I will allure her, that is the church and his people, and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably to her. And I will give her her vineyards from there, and the valley of Achor, for a door of hope. And that's Hosea chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. But a wilderness condition is a lost condition. And what comfort can one have in a lost condition? Well, true, saith God. You cannot in and by yourselves. But there I will speak friendly and comfortably to her. And of all the times that I choose to preach the gospel to a poor soul, I choose to do it in a wilderness and lost condition. But you may say, though the Lord speaks comfortably to us if we are in a wilderness, a dry and barren place where no food nor comfort is, how can we be but discouraged? Nay, says the Lord, but I will give her her vineyards from thence. But, you say, if we sin and murmur in the wilderness as the Israelites did, the Lord will cut us off as he did them. And a wilderness is a place of trouble, wherein we are apt to murmur and be discouraged. Nay, says the Lord, but I will give her her vineyards from thence, and the valley of Achor for a door of hope. The valley of Achor was the valley of perturbation, trouble, and great discouragement. When the men of Israel fled and fell before the men of Ai for the sin of Achon, that's in Joshua uh, chapter 7 verse 26, yet it was an inlet to the land of Canaan, to the land of rest. Now, says the Lord, look as it is, or as it was with them. Though the valley of Achor was a valley of trouble and perturbation, yet it was the door by which the Israelites came into the land of rest. And so it shall be with you. I will make your troubles and discouragements the very door of your hope. The valley of your discouragements shall be the door and an inlet into all your rest and comfort. And God takes the same way with the members as he took with their head. Christ's cross was an inlet of glory. His suffering time was the valley of Achor to his disciples. And was it not a door of hope unto them and unto all the saints? Well, this is God's way. Discouragements bring encouragements. And the more discouragements the saints have, the more encouragements they shall have. Yea, their discouragements shall contribute to their encouragements and be a door of hope to them. Now, if the valley of Achor shall by promise be a door of hope, why should we be discouraged whatsoever the valley of Achor may be, and whatever our condition may be. 
Now, a praying man can never be very miserable, whatever his condition may be, for he has the ear of God, the spirit within, to help him compose his prayers. A friend, that's with a capital F, a friend in heaven to present them, and God himself to receive his desires as a father. It is a mercy to pray, even if I never receive the mercy prayed for, for by it God comes down to us, and we go up to God. It is the soul's conversation with God on earth, and a great ease to a burdened, troubled spirit, for thereby he may go and empty all his heart into the bosom of his best friend. Again, friend with the capital F. Every godly, gracious man is a praying man. More or less, he prayeth. It is spoken as an argument of Paul's conversion. Behold, he prayeth. Acts chapter 9, verse 11. As speech is common unto all men, so prayer unto all Christians. God has none of his children born dumb. As soon as one of your children is born, it cries, and it sucks, and it sleeps. And so also with every man that is born of God. As soon as he is born, he cries unto God in prayer. He sucks at the breast of the promise, and he sleeps in the bosom of God by divine contentment, being dead unto all the world. And it may be that he cannot pray as he would, but though he cannot pray as he would, nor hear as he would, nor perform any duty as he would, yet he prays. It may be said of him, Behold, he prayeth. Turn him where you will, and behold, he prayeth. Sick, yet, behold, he prayeth. Tempted, yet, behold, he prayeth. At home or abroad, yet, behold, he prayeth. And can he be miserable while he prays? Well, surely not. Well, why then should he be discouraged, whatever his condition may be? If the matter of the saints' discouragements is but a cloud that will blow over and melt away, then there is no reason for their discouragements, whatsoever or whatever their condition may be. Now thus, it is with the people of God. Though they are in a dark and very dark condition, yet their darkness is but the darkness of a cloud, and as it is said, Nubecula es sito transibit, it is but a cloud, it will soon pass over. And so may they say concerning every matter of their discouragement. And it is dark indeed. But this darkness will soon pass over. There is a storm coming down upon us, but we shall see land again, the shore again. It is but a cloud, 
but a cloud. And upon this account, David comforted his own heart here and checked his soul for his immoderate dejection. Why art thou cast down? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. I shall be delivered, and this cloud will pass over. It will not last, for it is but the darkness of a cloud. But, say you, how shall it appear that it is but a cloud, and the darkness of a cloud? Well, I think it is night, and dark night with my soul. Yea, such a night as shall never know morning. Indeed, if I did know that the matter of my discouragement were but a cloudy darkness, well, then I would conclude and say that there is no reason for this discouragement. But how shall I know whether this darkness is the darkness of a cloud or of the night? If the darkness is such as comes immediately after the rising and shining forth of the promise, then it is but the darkness of a cloud, and not of the night. The sun does not rise, only to set immediately, and therefore, if darkness comes immediately after sunrise, it is certainly the darkness of an eclipse, or of a cloud, not of the night. And there was a fair promise that rose and shined upon Joseph, when the Lord said that his sheaf should be higher than all the sheaves of his brethren. Yet presently after that there arose a darkness upon him. But it was the darkness of a cloud, and not of the night. Why so? Well, because he had a promise first, which did shine upon him. And so also David had a fair promise of the kingdom when he was anointed by Samuel. Yet a darkness presently rose upon him, but it was the darkness of a cloud only, and not of the night. Why? Because it was such a darkness as arose immediately after the shining forth of a promise. And I pray you, show me any scripture where you find that ever any darkness arose very soon after the breaking and shining forth of a promise, which was more than the darkness of a cloud that soon vanished away? Or where do you find in all the scripture that ever any poor soul came into the dark immediately after the giving out of a promise, but that soul did come to the light again? Now as for the darkness that covers the saints, it is usually a darkness that comes after the giving and shining out of a promise, and therefore that darkness is but the darkness of a cloud, and they may say, it is but a cloud, a cloud, and it will soon pass away. If a man is somewhat in the dark, but yet he can see to work and dig pits, it argues that the darkness is but the darkness of a cloud. A man cannot see to work artificially in the night, well at least not back when Bridge wrote this, <laughs> they can now, but anyway. A man cannot see to work artificially in the night. But though there may 
be much darkness by reason of a cloud, yet he may see enough to work and to dig pits, because it is day. By the way, pits could be ditches too for our day. Now, in Psalm 84, verses 5 through 7, the psalmist says, quote, Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, and whose heart are the ways of them, who, passing through the valley of Baca, dig up pits. The rain also filleth the pits. They go from strength to strength till they appear before God in Zion. Close quote. Well, this is an allusion to the practice of the Jews. When some of them went up to Jerusalem, their way lay through the valley of Baca, which was a very dry valley where no houses were, where no water was for their relief and refreshment. Whereupon they dug up pits, and so the rain fell, and they were refreshed, got strength, and went on to Jerusalem. There they saw the Lord in his ordinances, and so says the psalmist, Blessed are they in whose heart the law of God is. Now, there is a generation of men in the world that have the law of God in their hearts though they cannot act and work towards God as they would. These men are sometimes in a dry and barren condition, where there is no water or comfort. Yet if, in this condition, they dig pits, go to prayer, and wait upon God in duty, although they find no comfort springing up in their duty for the present, Yet in due time the rain of God's blessing will fill those dry pits and empty duties, whereby their life shall be likened unto a pool of water, and they shall go from strength of grace to strength of grace until they see the Lord. Therefore know that any man that is in this valley of Baca, where no water is, Yet, if he can find it in his heart to dig the ditch, to pray, read, hear, meditate, confer, and perform duties, though those duties may be empty of comfort for the present, yet the rain of grace and mercy shall fall upon those ditches, and he shall go from strength to strength until he appears before the Lord in glory. Now thus it is with the saints, though darkness, and a great darkness like in our day, may be upon them, yet in that dark condition they are still digging ditches, and therefore this darkness is not the darkness of the night, but rather the darkness of a cloud, and they may say, this is a cloudy darkness, and it will be over before long. If the darkness which a man is under is such as there are some openings of light remaining, then it is the darkness of a cloud, and not of the night. Though the cloud may cause much darkness, yet presently it opens, and there are some interims of light remaining. Uh, but the night opens not, there are no interims of light then.
Now, interims and intermissions of light are sure, and certain pledges of a greater light which is yet to come. You know that when David fled from Absalom, he was in a dark condition, for the text says, he went and he wept, and he went barefoot, 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 30. His own son persecutes him and drives him from his throne. A great confederacy was raised against him by wicked men, with a child of his own heart. And here was darkness upon darkness, matter of great discouragement. But it was a cloud, and no more. And you will say, how should David have known that it was but the darkness of a cloud? Well, David prayed that the Lord would turn the counsels of Ahithophel into folly. And before David had overcome Absalom and was restored to his kingdom, Ahithophel did hang himself. David singled out Ahithophel to pray against, and the Lord heard his prayer. The judgment of Ahithophel was the return of David's prayer. And here the cloud opened. And this answer of his prayer in the interim was a seal to David of the full deliverance that came afterwards. And God seals diverse or many matters with the same seal. So when a man is in the dark by reason of some temptation, affliction, or desertion, which he cannot see the end of, if, in this interim, before the full deliverance comes, he has some lesser deliverance, well, that lesser deliverance in the interim is a seal unto him of the future deliverance. And he may say, Here is a pledge of my full deliverance, for here is the opening of the cloud. And thus it is always with the people of God. They are never in any affliction, temptation, or desertion, but before their great deliverance comes, they have some special providence, some reviving in the midst of their trouble, some interim of light, some openings of the cloud. And therefore, in the midst of all, they may say, Surely this, my darkness, is not the darkness of night, uh, but of a cloud. Well, I say, there is no discouragement that befalls the saints, but the matter thereof is a cloud, and they may say, it is but a cloud, and it will pass over. And therefore, why should they be discouraged? Surely there is no reason for their discouragements, whatever their conditions may be. And if these things are so, how heavily does this doctrine fall in reproof upon some? I wish I might not say, some of the servants and people of God. Well, a godly man has no true reason for his discouragements, whatever his condition is, although it be never so sad, and some are always discouraged, whatever their condition may be, although it is never so good. Well, whatever falls out, the saints should not be discouraged. No, not at anything. And yet many are discouraged at everything and upon every occasion. And I can tell you, as your narrator, this does happen a lot, at least in this day. Anyway, back to the material. 
Oh, what unworthy walking is this? How contrary do you walk to God? And do you know what it is to walk contrary to him? Well, has he not said, if you walk contrary to me, I will walk contrary to you? Leviticus chapter 26, verses 23 and 24. Well, but someone may say, well, I have reason to be discouraged, for I have no sense and feeling of God's love. Beloved, <laughs> we do not live by feeling, but rather by faith. It is the duty of a Christian to begin with faith, and so to rise up to feeling. You would begin with feeling, and so come down to faith. But you must begin with faith, and so rise up to feeling. And I pray, tell me, is it not sufficient to be as our Master was? Did not the Lord Jesus Christ himself lack the sense of God's love when he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Matthew chapter 27, verse 46. Yea, had not Christ the sense of God's anger upon him when he did perform the greatest act of obedience that ever the Son did see? Did he then say, I am not a child of God because I lack the sense of God's love, because I am under the sense of God's anger? <laughs> God forbid! No, but with the same breath that he said he was forsaken, he said, My God, my God. And at the same time, he called God Father. Quote, Father, forgive them. Close quote. Luke chapter 23, verse 34. So may you do, though God has forsaken you, though you lack the sense of his love, yea, and are under the sense of God's anger, yet at the same time you may say, The Lord is my Father. And you may go to him as your Father. And if you can say, God is my Father, have you any reason for your discouragements? Yet, how often are God's own people discouraged and cast down? Oh, you that are the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, labor more and more to follow your master. And as David says here, so should you often say, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? What a mighty, vast difference there is between a godly and wicked man on upon this account. Sorry, brother, my eyes are watering up. Give me a minute. A godly, gracious man has no reason for his discouragements, whatever his condition may be. A wicked man has no reason for his encouragement, whatever his condition may be. A gracious man is apt to be much discouraged, 
but he has no true reason for it. A wicked man is apt to be much encouraged, but he has no true reason for it. It is said of the wicked, God is angry with the wicked every day. Psalm 7 verse 11. Whatever the day may be, well, God is angry with them. Though it may be a day of fasting and prayer, yet then God is angry with them. Though it may be a day of praises and of thanksgiving, then God is angry with them. When he sins most, and when he sins least, well, God is still angry with him. Not one day goes over his head, but God is angry with him. And one blow or another, God's anger reaches forth to him every day. Now, he does not always feel those blows, but God is smiting him and is angry with him every day. And the text is referring to the wicked. And therefore, whatever his condition may be, there is still no reason for his encouragement. Again, speaking about the wicked. Suppose a man is in prison for committing some great offense, and is condemned to die under the displeasure of his prince or state. And his servant should come to him, saying, Sir, be of good comfort. Your wife is well at home. You have very sweet children, an excellent crop of corn. Your neighbors love you dearly. Your sheep and cattle thrive, and all your houses are in good repair and order. Would he not answer that servant and say, What is all this, so long as I am condemned to die? Well, so it is with every wicked man. He is under the displeasure of the great God, a condemned man, and God is angry with him every day. And if his heart were open to being sensible of it, he would say, You tell me of my friends, and my personal property, my prosperity, and name, and trade. But what is all this, so long as I am a condemned person, and God is angry with me every day I rise. But for the present does not feel his displeasure, and is not sensible of it. Yet let him know that there is a day coming, when he will find the truth of this matter, no reason for his encouragement, whatever his condition may be. And as Saul once cried out, saying, God has forsaken me, and the Philistines are upon me, for Samuel chapter 28, verse 15, and so shall he cry out and say, God has forsaken my soul. Temptations are now upon me. My sins and guilt are upon me. God has forsaken me, and the devils are now upon me. And thus it is with the wicked. But now, as for a godly, gracious man though his condition may never be so sad, and his soul never so much cast down, yet he has no reason to be discouraged. And I say, 
whatever his condition may be. What a glorious condition are the saints in who would not be in love or who would not be in love with this condition? Who would not be in Christ? Who would not leave the ways of the wicked? Who would not be godly? Oh, you that are ungodly, labor to become godly. Well, this, uh, the exhortation, however, is specially directed to the saints. And with you, I must leave a word of exhortation. Take heed and beware of discouragements, of being cast down. You have no reason for it, and much reason against it. Thereby you rejoice the heart of Satan. He claps his hands and laughs to see you cast down. Now, oh now, says he, this man is like to me. I am a despairing spirit, and so is he. I am discouraged and cast down, and so is he. He stands triumphing over you to see you under these discouragements. And when you are sad, he's laughing at you and glad. And as you rejoice the heart of Satan, so you grieve the heart of God. One friend is grieved at the grief, sorrow, and discouragement of another. Well, the more the real, or the more real the friendship, the greater is the affliction and trouble of the one, if the other is grieved. Now, just as God was the friend of the faithful Abraham, the friend of God, actively and passively, God was a friend to him, and he a friend to God. Well, so it is with all believers. The Lord Jesus Christ is their friend. And henceforth call I you no more servants, but friends, says Christ. John chapter 15, verse 15. And the Holy Ghost is their friend. For it is the Spirit that comes and dwells in them and manifests himself to them. And we are said to grieve the Spirit. God, as God is the worst enemy, so he is the best friend, the truest friend, the most real friend in all the world. Therefore, when you are cast down and discouraged, you grieve him, you grieve the Father, you grieve the Son, you grieve the Holy Spirit. And do you know what you do when you grieve the Lord? Is it nothing to grieve such a friend? Thereby you do in some measure, yea, in a great measure, make void and frustrate the end of Christ's coming, who came not only to free us from hell, but from our present fears. That being delivered out of the hands of our enemies, we might serve him without fear. Luke chapter 1 verse 74. And will you then go drooping, discouraged, and bowed down under your fears and all your days? Thereby you unfit yourselves for the service of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Passover of old was not to be eaten with any old leaven. The old leaven was to be purged out. 
and none that were sad and sorrowful were to eat of the holy things. Now, says the apostle, Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, that is, the gospel feast, not with old leaven, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. And will no bread suffice for you but leavened bread, sour bread, the bread of sadness and mourning? Will you thus keep your Passover, your Christian feast? Well, some of you have been doubting, fearing, trembling, cast down, and discouraged for many years. And is it not yet time to bewail your unbelief and to honor free grace? What? What? Will you always grieve the Spirit, the Father, and Christ, and always be frustrating of Christ's work? Will you always be eating old leaven? And by the way, brothers and sisters, Bridge is saying this to those who continually remain in a cast down and disquieted state. Okay, he, he, this isn't criticizing people who go through this briefly or occasionally. This is the person that refuses to leave that state that he's talking about. Will you always be eating old leaven? Is it not yet time to say, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope in him, for I shall yet praise him. Who is the health of my countenance and my God? You may say, Indeed, I know that I have no just and scriptural reason for my discouragements. I see there is much reason against it, yet I am one of a troubled spirit. I would fain have it otherwise, that at last I might glorify free grace. Well, what should I do, that I may bear up against all discouragements, that I may not be discouraged, whatever my condition may be? Well, the only way which the psalmist uses here is to hope, trust, and believe in God. How we should use our faith in Christ so that we may not be discouraged follows after. For the present, take these directions. Number one, if we would not be discouraged in any condition, then never lay your comforts upon your condition nor be in love with any condition for itself. Let not your condition itself be the cause or bottom of your encouragements. Hang a cloak or garment upon a rotten peg, and that will break, and the garment will fall down. Now there is no condition that is not as a rotten peg. Every condition is alterable. No condition is so firm and fast, but is exposed to many changes. It is a rotten hold. God is a pillar. His name is Adonai, which signifies as much. And in Isaiah chapter 26, verse 4, we are commanded to trust in the Lord. 
For in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength, or the rock of ages. And, says the psalmist, my flesh faileth, and my heart faileth. But God is the rock of my heart forever. Psalm 73, verse 26. Base your comforts upon your own condition, and you do but build on the sand, which will be carried away with every wind and storm and tempest. But if upon Christ himself, upon God himself, you build upon the rock, and though the floods and storms and winds do rise and beat upon you, yet you shall not lose your comforts, because they are built upon a rock. Number two. Be sure that you think of Christ in a right way and manner, as he suits with your condition, and as he is held forth in the gospel. And we are very apt to have wrong thoughts of Christ. As Satan transforms himself into an angel of light, so he would transform Christ before you into an angel of darkness. But the scriptures hold him forth under such relations as to make him very amiable unto poor sinners. Well, are you accused by Satan, the world, or your own conscience? He is called your advocate. Well, are you ignorant? He is called the prophet. Well, are you guilty of sin? He is called a priest and high priest. Are you afflicted with many enemies, inward and outward? He is called a king and king of kings. Are you in straits? He is called your way. Are you hungry or thirsty? Well, he is called bread and water of life. Are you afraid you shall fall away and be condemned at last? Well, he is our second Adam, a public person in whose death we died and in whose satisfaction we satisfied justice. As there is no temptation or affliction, but some promise or another especially suiting it, so there is no condition, but some name, some title, or some attribute of Christ that does especially suit it. And as you do not look to Christ, but in reference to your condition, so you are not to look upon your condition alone, but also upon Christ's attribute, suitable thereunto. If you look upon Christ's attribute of love, Without your condition, you may presume. If on your condition, without Christ's attribute of love, you may despair. Well, think on both together, and you will not be discouraged. Number three. If your discouragements begin to rise and press in upon you, well, check yourself and say, Why should I multiply thoughts without knowledge? Why should I tire out my soul with these thoughts? Am I able to add one cubit to my spiritual state? Am I, by all my thoughtfulness, able to alter my condition? 
Okay. Does not my thoughtfulness set me at a farther distance from the mercy desired? Well, the truth is, the only way to lose the comfort desired is to be solicitous about it, just as the only way to have an outward blessing is to be content to go without it. And so also, the only way to have a spiritual or outward affliction removed is to be contented that it should be continued, if God and Christ will have it so. But you will have your affliction pleasantly removed, I'm sorry, presently removed, and you must presently know that you are in the state of grace and the child of God, or else you will be discouraged. A bird in the net, the more it strives, the more it is entangled. So with you also. Therefore, if temptations, afflictions, and desertions come, and Satan joins with them and says unto your soul, Things will always be this way, will answer. Well, but I therefore believe the contrary. Because you say it is so, Satan, who, <laughs> who is a liar. You are a liar. Yet if God will have it so, I am contented. I leave it to him. Whether I shall forever be in this condition or not is not my question. Only now, O Lord, let me serve you. That is all my desire. Let me see you as you please, when you please. I have done, Lord, I have done. I have been questioning and questioning my condition these many years. I see there is no end of that. Yea, the more I may do, I get nothing by it. Why, therefore, O oh my soul, should I tear myself out? Or should I tear out myself with this kind of thoughtfulness? Thus, check yourselves. Number four. Whenever you think of anything which is in itself terrible or a matter of discouragement, be sure that you mingle the consideration of it with those sweet things which God has given and prescribed to you. There is nothing terrible, but God has joined some comfortable thing with it. The name of God is terrible. He is called the great and dreadful God. But to sweeten this, he is called the God of all consolations. Death is terrible. It is called the king of terrors. But to sweeten this, it is called asleep. The day of judgment is terrible. But to sweeten that, our present advocate, with a capital A, uh, shall be our future judge, yea, our best friend, and our dear husband. Now, if you distill the terror of any object from the sweetness of it, it is no wonder if you are much discouraged. It is our duty to behold things as God presents them and to take things as God gives them. What God has joined together, no man may put asunder. If you consider the sweetness of an object or condition without the sourness of it, then you may grow too wanton. 
If you consider the terror of an object or condition without the sweetness of it, then you may too be fearful. But if you think on both together, then you will fear and believe, and believe and fear, and so be kept from discouragement. Number five, if you would not be discouraged, whatever your condition may be, labor more and more to get your self-love mortified, even religious self-love. All your discouragements are from self-love, not from the venom of your condition, but from the poison of self-love. You hear that, brothers and sisters? Self-love is a poison. It's not a benefit. It's not a good thing. Oh, but I am discouraged, you say, because I have no assurance. Well, suppose you had assurance. Well, what then? Then I should have comfort. It's not self to be seen here. Oh, but I am discouraged about my everlasting condition. And is that not self? Does not that word condition sound one's self? I dare boldly say, there is no tumult or immoderate discouragement in the soul, but has self at the bottom of it. If you would leave yourself and your condition with God and Christ, and mind his service, glory and honor more, God would take care of your comfort. But when you mind yourself and your condition so much, and his service, glory, and honor so little, it's no wonder that you are so much discouraged. And therefore, labor more and more to mortify, that means to put to death, self-love. And so shall you never be discouraged, whatever your condition may be. Number six. When temptation presses in upon you, and urges you to sad discouragements. Speak to this purpose unto your own soul. Why should I buy my repentance at so dear a rate? There is not one of all these doubtings, unbelieving fears, and discouragements that you will not be ashamed of and repent of afterwards. You know how it is with the traveler. He thinks the sun is not yet up, and so he loiters and sits down. But the sun creeping up behind the cloud, at last breaks out upon his face, and has gotten before him. And then he says, Oh, what a fool was I, to think that the sun was not up, because I saw it not. What an unwise man was I thus, to loiter and sit down. Well, so it will be with you. You now lie down upon the earth, and your belly cleaves to the dust by reason of your discouragements. But the grace of God and the love of Christ are creeping up behind the dark cloud, and they will break out at the last upon you, and shine into your face with the golden beams of mercy. They will go before you, and be before you. And then you will say, Oh, what a fool I was to be thus discouraged! What an unworthy creature am I, to doubt thus of God's love! I have sinned. I have sinned by all my unbelief, 
Now, the Lord, pardon me all my doubtings. I am, O Lord, ashamed of these my doubtings and questionings of your love. Pardon them, O Lord, unto my soul. And this is that which you must come to. You must at last be ashamed and repent of these your unbeliefs, doubtings, and fears. And therefore, whenever they press in upon you, say at the beginning unto yourself, Why should I buy my repentance at so dear a rate, by yielding unto these discouragements? And for this very reason, because discouragements are to be repented of, and therefore the saints and people of God have no reason to be discouraged, whatever their condition may be. And thus have I spoken to this truth under a more general consideration. Through grace I shall labor to clear it further to you by particulars. And that is the end of chapter 3.